Welcome to Tomorrow's World. Leo Tolstoy wrote a short story about a poor peasant named Pum, who dreamed how different life would be if only he owned a little land. In the course of time, an opportunity arose for him to purchase a small plot, and he scraped together everything that he had, and he purchased it. One day, a passing stranger told him about some very rich land beyond the Volga River, and he decided once again to sell all that he had and move there. The land was indeed very good, and now he had much more than he had before. But then one day, a land dealer told him about the land of the Bashkirs, far away where the land was fertile, plentiful, and inexpensive. Pum realized that he could have 10 times as much as he currently owned, and that would certainly satisfy all his desires. And so he set out on a journey to meet the Bashkirs. It was here that he learned that the land was sold by a very unusual method. For 1,000 rubles, a man could keep as much land as he could mark out between sunrise and sunset. But the purchaser had to return to the spot from which he started before the sun set, or he would lose all of his money. Early the next morning, Pum showed up with the bashkers at the top of a hill. The chief placed his fox fur cap on the ground, and Pum placed his money in it. As the first rays shone over the horizon, he set out toward the rising sun, stopping occasionally to dig a hole and make a pile of sod to mark his claim. The land was beautiful and luscious, and the further he went, the better the land seemed to be, but the hotter the day. He went straight for several hours before making a sharp turn to the left after digging a large hole and heaping up pieces of turf. The grass grew higher and the sun grew hotter, about the time he was to make another turn to mark out the third leg of his square, he noticed a damp hollow that he couldn't resist. This delayed his turn, but once past it, he quickly stacked a pile of sod and turned to begin his third leg. He soon realized he was running out of time. He decided to turn straight toward the starting point, even though it would make his land a little bit unusual in shape. With little time left, with the sun sinking lower and lower in the sky, Pum summoned all of his strength, running and stumbling toward the bashkers at the top of the hill. His heart was pounding, and his legs were barely able to keep up. But with the sun setting below the horizon, he arrived at the finish line just in time, only to die from exhaustion. The final lines of How Much Land Does a Man Need reads as follows. His servant picked up the spade and dug a grave long enough for Pum to lie in and buried him in it. Six feet from his head to his heels was all that he needed. Although the story is fictional, Tolstoy observes a flaw in human behavior, and he made a point of it. Is it possible that there's a lesson in this for you and me? Stay tuned. I'll be back in a minute to answer that question.
welcome again to Tomorrow's World, where today I'm asking the question, how much is enough? As we saw in the introduction of today's program, Leo Tolstoy's character tragically ended up with all the land that he needed, and that was enough in which to be buried. The great God of creation put us on this beautiful earth and gave us an abundance of natural resources. Fertile lands, rivers and streams, small ponds and deep blue lakes. He also gave us a mind to invent and build. And we have learned a great variety of ways to feed, clothe and house ourselves. Some people have far more than they need. But sadly, they think they need more and are never satisfied. Consider those who possess millions and billions of dollars, pounds, rubles, rupees, euros, yuan. No matter how much they own, many are never satisfied. The more they have, the more they want. Tolstoy was not the only one to recognize this problem with human nature, and he certainly wasn't the first. The one who created us understands this human weakness, and so his Tenth Commandment contains these simple words. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Long before Tolstoy, the Bible tells us that a man came to Jesus one day and asked him to convince his brother to divide an inheritance with him. We don't know why the one brother was left out. Perhaps he had proven that he was not responsible and his father had cut him off from receiving any part of it. But whatever the reason, Jesus did not give him the answer he was seeking. Notice it in Luke, the 12th chapter, and verses 14 and 15. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Isn't it interesting how most people profess to know that money does not make for happiness? But they live as though they believe just the opposite. An outsider visiting Hong Kong is struck by the number of stores selling Rolex and other expensive watches. Hong Kong must be the watch capital of the world. And then there are the street vendors offering cheap knockoffs for the individual who can't afford the genuine item, but wants to appear as though he can. Now, of course, it's not necessarily sinful to own an expensive watch, but the fact that there are so many imitations is a good indication that people buy watches to do more than tell time. A watch can make a statement. Jesus went on to give the following parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? There is a point to this parable, just as there is in Tolstoy's short story. In this case, it isn't that it is wrong to possess lands, homes, and physical things in general, but what is important is the focus of one's life. 
There are things more important than the accumulation of goods. Jesus continued his warning, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Yes, one's relationship with God far surpasses in importance any possessions that we can amass in this physical life. After all, this life will come to an end, and only God can resurrect us and give us eternal life. However true this is, our human desire for physical possessions to amass more and more is a great deceiver. I remember a long time ago that I wanted a telescope. I wanted to have a closer look at the sun, the moon, the rings of Saturn, and other celestial objects. I knew I would be happy if only I could have that four and a half inch TASCO reflecting telescope. I would truly be satisfied. Of course, my father had a different view. He knew how much it would cost, and he instinctively knew that there was little return on the investment. There would not be enough satisfaction for the cost of such an item. But I continued to badger my parents until finally my mother unwisely helped me purchase the object of my desires. Was I ever happy? I wasted little time setting it up and looking at the moon closer than I'd ever seen it before. I even tried taking pictures, but without a more expensive tripod and tracking device, they always turned out blurry. I pointed the scope at several of the planets, but my favorite was Saturn. It really did have rings. But after a few weeks, I lost interest. My father was right. In the end, it became an expensive and awkward piece of equipment to drag around as I went off to university and later into the working world. Through numerous moves, parts were lost, the mirror was damaged, and 20 years later, it ended up in the city landfill. Wise King Solomon had everything a man can hope for. He had land, 700 wives and 300 concubines, and all the pleasures reserved for kings. Yet he realized that none, if seen as an end in itself, truly satisfied because all were temporary. As he tells us in the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. How true! The world is full of beauty. Consider the never-ending variety of shapes and colors and sunsets and cloud formations. Consider also the beauty of the multitude of flowers, trees, birds, lakes, rivers, hills, and mountains. Then consider all the sounds that surround us. Singing birds, moving water, the human voice, and all the musical instruments man has invented, and the way that they can be used individually and in harmony with one another. But are any of these an end in themselves? Is the eye ever satisfied or the ear filled to the full with hearing? Solomon continued, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. The Apostle Paul instructed the young evangelist Timothy of the need to teach the importance of contentment. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Then he gives a warning to those who make riches their goal in life. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a, notice it's not the, but it is a, root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Just as we saw earlier that Jesus taught the importance of our relationship with God, so Paul explains that we would do well spending our energy in other pursuits than amassing temporary and deceptive material wealth. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. Isn't it interesting how easy it is to agree with this wise instruction, but how difficult it is to actually live according to it? Consider how much people put at risk for some physical object. When the children of Israel went into the Promised Land, they overthrew the city of Jericho. But all were warned not to take anything for themselves. However, a man named Achan violated this command, and as a result, God withdrew his help and 36 men needlessly died as a result. Notice what happened to Achan when this sin was discovered. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, make confession and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And what was his punishment for coveting and stealing what did not belong to him? So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Most of us don't come across a beautiful Babylonian garment a large wedge of gold, or silver ripe for the taking. But consider how some siblings fight over who gets what when a parent dies, as in the example given earlier of the men who came to Jesus over a disputed inheritance. Consider the scam artists and swindlers who take advantage of the old and gullible. Consider the executive who thinks it's nothing to cheat a coworker to get ahead. But even apart from criminal activity, many give lip service to the idea that there are things more important than money and what it can buy. But the way they live their lives tells a different story. We will do well to remember the biblical proverb, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. In describing the ancient nation of Judah, 
we see a parallel with our world today. The prophet Jeremiah wrote the following, Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness, and from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Now that, my friends, sounds way too much like our world today. The Bible tells us it is more blessed to give than to receive. But is this true? Is there evidence that proves or disproves a statement? In a March 2008 article in The Independent of London, science editor Steve Connor reported the following. Researchers from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver found that those who gave money to good causes were happier than people who spent their cash on consumer goods. Both Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, American billionaires, know a bit about making money and also about giving it away to charity. Now scientists have proved that such acts of philanthropy can be a shortcut to achieving happiness. Proved? Now I just have to read that again. Now scientists have proved that such acts of philanthropy can be a shortcut to achieving happiness. In a study that helps explain a paradox of modern life, why increasing wealth does not necessarily make people happier, psychologists found how people spend their money is at least as important as how much of it they earn in the first place. The greatest joys of all, they discovered, can be attained by giving money away, either to someone they know or to charity. In other words, my friends, the words of Jesus Christ spoken nearly 2,000 years ago have been proven to be correct. Truly it is more blessed to give than to receive. The article continues, The pursuit of happiness is seen as a fundamental human right, and it is often linked with wealth. Yet studies have shown that the richest countries do not always have the happiest people. Provided there is enough money for basic needs, there appears to be little evidence to suggest that greater wealth makes people any happier, said Professor Elizabeth Dunn of the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Indeed, although real incomes have surged dramatically in recent decades, happiness levels have remained largely flat within developed countries across time. Humanly speaking, we want to get. We think that only if we could have a new luxury car, a boat, a Rolex, or a new dress, we would be happy. But as this article explains, and as research behind it shows, we would receive greater enjoyment by giving something of value to someone in need. We call this program Tomorrow's World because we look forward to a time in the future known as the Kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that this is the gospel or good news that Jesus Christ brought to this world. This is the message that the world has heard too little of. Yet the Bible is filled with this message. Notice the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the Kingdom of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If we are to believe the gospel, we need to know what it is. We see from these verses that it is the gospel, meaning the good news of the kingdom of God. 
But sadly, many assume this means going to heaven when we die. But that is not at all what Jesus was talking about. As the Bible clearly shows, he was talking about a literal kingdom to be set up on this earth where he will be king over all the earth and the relatively few who are being called during this life will rule with him to bring peace and harmony to this troubled world. The prophet Zechariah describes what will happen when Christ returns. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Scripture reveals that ancient King David of Israel will be resurrected to life once again and will rule over the nation of Israel under the authority of Jesus Christ. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them. So Christ will rule over all the earth and David will serve under him ruling over Israel. Then Jesus shows us his twelve apostles will serve under David over each of the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus also explained in a parable that all those who follow Him during this lifetime are going to be given positions of responsibility over cities on this earth for the purpose of bringing about a new harmonious society. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise he said to him, You also be over five cities. The prophet Micah tells us how Christ's coming will change this world. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. This amazing time will occur only after Christ returns and removes Satan from deceiving mankind. And when his law of love will permeate every portion of the inhabited world. This time of peace and harmony will last for 1,000 years. But then what? Time does not permit me to read all the details Scripture reveals, but God's ultimate purpose for mankind is to inherit all things. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. But again, what does that mean? God will ultimately give us the universe as our inheritance. Notice this in Hebrews, the second chapter. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the work of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, 
He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. No, God cannot give us all things yet. And when he does, it will only be to those who have proven that they will live in harmony with him and according to his law of love. Only then will we be ready to rule the universe. But man is not patient. As with Tolstoy's central character and how much land is enough, man gets the cart before the horse. We want it all now before we learn how to use what we have been given. Jesus explains that his followers must first learn to look at possessions and rulership in a totally different way. When it comes to possessions, he teaches us it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when it comes to power and rulership, Jesus instructs us in Matthew, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Here at Tomorrow's World, we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ and to a new harmonious society. If you'd like to learn more about that future time, please go to the website that will be shown momentarily, where you can download or order literature that will help you to understand this wonderful subject. And join us again next week at the same time and place when Richard Ames, Rodney King, and I will bring you more good news from the Word of God. See you next week. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by the Living Church of God.